how can we bring in new people, new families? So in essence, how do we take these small towns and bring in new ideas? You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast. I just love this space, and we have had such great listener interaction and feedback about the topics that we cover from small town business ideas and how to grow your team, how to approach your marketing, to things like oh, you guys haven't heard it yet, but we have some really great interviews with small business owners, and they bring their unique insights and tips to the table. And you will have those in the next couple of weeks for you. But having this podcast and this platform here has been so much fun. Again, our listeners out there are just fantastic. And today's topic is actually a listener request that we received a few weeks back from someone who is wondering how small towns can bring in new, meaning new businesses, new events, getting some new volunteers in the mix and community organizations, How can we bring in new people, new families? So in essence, how do we take these small towns and bring in new ideas? I thought it was deserving of, well, it is deserving of several episodes, but today we will just like kind of dip our toes in and we'll talk a little bit about my town of Cascade, Iowa, and how in recent years, a lot of new things have happened and how it's just kind of created a buzz. And hopefully through a few of the things that we share today here, you can take an idea or two or three and just like start sprinkling them around your town so that you can start seeing those new things, those new passions, new people arise who want to come to the table and help you out. Today, we're talking about bringing in new, and I'm so excited to get started. If you're looking to amp up the social presence of your small business, you need to look into the Instagram Academy round two from Molly Knuth Media. We just wrapped up the first round yesterday, and I cannot tell you how much fun it was to work with the women who were in this program as they were taking their small businesses they loved and taking the time to learn the platform of Instagram and all the ways that they could connect, engage, grow their followers, and then turn them into clients and customers. Instagram Academy from Molly Knuth Media is a five-week program starting the week of November 16th. We meet weekly on specific topics unique to Instagram, getting strategic about our approach to the content we create, getting strategic about how to actually use the platform in addition to like navigation, but also how to use things like Reels, Instagram Stories, IGTV. What does it mean to have a hashtag and why should I do hashtag research? All of that comes inside this five-week program from Molly Knuth Media. So head over to mollyknuthmedia.com slash shop, 
click on Instagram Academy for all the details and to get registered before November 16th. Okay, so first, let's talk a little bit about my town because that's what a lot of this is going to be based on. So my experience is in this community right here. So that's what I'm going to speak from. I know that my community isn't representative of every small town out there. So I'm going to try to be aware of that, but also I'm going to just share what worked here in the hopes that something might stick for you. But I think that first we need to start from like, what is my town? What kind of size are we talking about? What are some of the natural resources and business resources that we have available to us so that you can kind of frame it and access some of these resources yourself if you have them. So first of all, our town is located in eastern Iowa. It's a small town, Cascade, Iowa. We have about 2,500 residents and that is growing. So I think at the 2010 census, we had 2,100, but recent estimates have put us about 2,500. We are a community that's been around for almost 150 years. We're located on a small river. To put it in perspective of other larger communities, we are within 30 minutes drive from a large community of 77,000. If you go the opposite direction, about 60 miles, there's a community of 250,000. It's actually the second largest city in the state of Iowa. And then if you want to drive farther to get to some big metros, we are three hours from Chicago, four and a half, five hours from the Twin Cities, five to six hours from St. Louis, and about six hours from Omaha. We have a pretty like central location if you are wanting to go to any of these larger Midwestern metros, and it's all within a day's drive. So it kind of sets us up for some pretty good transportation going through or around, as the case is now. But transportation has been a big part of Cascades history. So when it was founded in the 1800s, there was a lot of use of a railroad that went through. And we were on the path that connected those two larger cities that I talked about, Dubuque and Cedar Rapids. So we really were set up in a physical location that made it a prime space for growth. Now, in more recent years, there was a highway that used to go through the heart of our community. And it was a major highway, again, connecting those two bigger cities. And we would get a lot of traffic through town. So we had a business district that benefited from the traffic. We have an industrial sector that is constantly receiving and shipping out large trucks. And so the whole community was dependent on the passage of that travel, in addition to like tourists or people just passing through on their way from one place to another. But in the early 2000s, as is true with many small towns, it was deemed more efficient to move the highway outside of city limits so that we could have a larger and safer section of road. So instead of it being a two lane that had to pass through all these residential neighborhoods in a narrow downtown main street, it was moved outside of the community. So then it was a huge four lane highway and you could speed right on by Cascade if you wanted to. Obviously, that was a concern for a lot of those businesses and those folks who depended on the travelers through for their livelihood. So there was a fear in the early 2000s that we would be facing some pretty significant economic impact from that bypass of our town. Some businesses did decide to move. Some businesses did decide to close. Honestly, I was in high school at that time, and I was like more concerned with, do I have my homework done? 
do I have my lines memorized for the play? So I really don't know a lot of the economic impact, but I do know that it was considerable. In even more recent years, the community, I guess I should speak to the people of the town too. Like we just have a really uplifting, supportive community. People take care of those in need. A lot of our businesses and individuals contribute regularly to certain projects or nonprofits or initiatives that pop up. So we benefit from the generosity and the caring Midwestern attitudes of the people who live here too. And one of the things that I really wanted to highlight, and this is I'm sure happening in your town, is really focusing on the good things that are happening in your community. Let's go back to my high school years. There was a need in that time for a space for our thriving theater and speech program in the high school to have a dedicated spot. So like many high schools that were built in the mid 20th century, the gym, the auditorium, the cafeteria, almost, it was all like in the same space, right? So because we had a pretty good program for these theater kids, for these kids who were pursuing the fine arts, there was a need for a dedicated space, an auditorium. And we had some people in the community who stood up and said, I want to champion this. I want to help fundraise for it. I want to build this for our future. So the CARE Foundation was formed. It stood for, I think, Cascade Area Resources for Education. When they set this nonprofit up, it was for specifically at that time, the auditorium, but they were forward thinking enough to say, we are going to be around for the long haul. We are going to gather resources to fund educational endeavors for years to come. Once this auditorium project is wrapped up and we have it built, we're going to help our schools and help our youth programming beyond just this one project. They did get the auditorium built. With the years after that, they renovated the track and football field complex. And there are a bunch of other projects they were involved in too. But that CARE Foundation, having an entity where people could contribute that they knew would directly impact the lives of kids was something that was super important to the people in our town. And this CARE Foundation spoke to that and they used that in their fundraising efforts and they made it really clear that they were there to help out our local kids. So I thought that was a really big success. Other ways that our community has grown and taken on new is by starting capital projects. So doing these capital fundraising campaigns. For example, um, when we as a community entered, like I think it was the year 2015, prior to that, we had a lot of in-home daycare providers in our town. And this is especially significant right now in 2020, as we are like we have a lot of child care issues with all of the homeschooling and virtual schooling and working parents needing somewhere for their kids to go. So at that time, when we were seeing some of these in-home child care providers retire or pursue other business endeavors, there was a real lack of access for working parents to have care for their kids while they were at work. What was championed was there was a daycare center in our town and the director there really wanted to see a new facility be built. In that year, 
the facility that was being used was a convent that had been converted from the church into a daycare center. So imagine a convent built in the 1960s. It was two-story. When you walked in the side entrance, there was a long hallway that went the length of the building. And then off of that single narrow hallway, there were these doors that led to tiny rooms where the sisters or the nuns used to work. So the kitchen was this tiny room and there was a small room for the babies. There was a larger room that had been set up for kids who were a little bigger, but it was just not a great setup for a daycare because parents were constantly like running into each other in that middle hallway. Like, especially if you had one of those large car seats, because you had a little baby, you would have to take up the whole, you filled that hallway. And so it was hard to like, just physically to utilize the space, but also it was 50 years old and needed a lot of repairs. In addition, it was a two-story building. And that second story wasn't accessible for kids with disabilities because there were only stairs, there was not an elevator, there was no way to put one in, it was really an ADA concern as well. The particular director at that time saw all of these needs, and she wanted to do something about it. So she assembled a committee of just people in the community that she thought would really appreciate and be helpful in this cause. She also gathered parents that were parents of children in that facility, and others from larger organizations outside of Cascade who could help us really get set up with a capital fundraiser and had experience getting a large sum of money raised so that we can build this facility. With the passions of this group of people and with the expertise of people from organizations in Dubuque that we worked with, there's a nonprofit that was helping us write grants. There was a nonprofit that was helping us at meetings knowing like what was the next step to take How do we get across this fundraising plateau? Sometimes it's nice to have a third party who is neutral come in to guide you through an experience. And especially in a small town where you sometimes have these histories, right? So certain people have a history with other certain people. You know, you've got people in the community that you see as, oh, they would totally contribute to this. Or you've got people in the community where you're thinking, I wouldn't even expect them to give $5. But You know, because we are so close in our communities, sometimes it's hard to take a higher level vision in a situation like this with a major fundraiser. And it was so helpful to have the advice and that neutral approach from an outside perspective. In the end, in a little over, let's see, I think it was a little over a year, we raised the million dollars plus that was needed and the facility was open another year later. And it is like really just a beautiful addition to our town. So because they were able to create that new facility, they were also able to make it bigger so they could house more families and children. And it's really just a top of the line building. And you have like glass doors where you can see into the classrooms. There's large common spaces where they can hold their own like sing-along songs, or there's an open kitchen where they can do baking demonstrations and experiments with food. And so it just is really such an educational, homey atmosphere. And it's an amazing accomplishment for a community of our size to do something like that. Other capital projects were also completed in like a 10-year time span where that daycare is just like in smack dab in the middle of. In like a 10-year time span from 2010 to 2020, capital projects like renovating our church, in addition to the private school, the new daycare. Uh, We built an amphitheater at our park along the river. 
They raised money for a brand new pool for our community. All of that was accomplished in about 10 years. And of course, you have to be able to access funds to do that. That's obviously a major contributor to doing something like this. But I think it also speaks to one project done successfully kind of creates momentum for these other larger scale projects and they can start to roll into one another and you can build that almost like expected nature of like, okay, we finished this project. What's our next one? What's the next way we're going to make our community better? And it does take a lot of work. It takes people who are super dedicated. It takes people who are willing to attend meetings and have uncomfortable conversations with people on how much money they want to give to this project. And it does take dedication. But when you start getting some of those wins under your belt, it makes it a little easier the next time you shoot for that big thing you would love to see in your small town. Another community project that has been really instrumental to our community and its growth and its vibrancy in the last few years are that we have a lot of events in our town that are not only for the people who live here, but bring in those from the surrounding areas. So we have a person in our community who takes it upon herself and she plans monthly music events at our outdoor amphitheater along the river in this park that is shaded by these big gorgeous trees in our downtown district. She gets these awesome bands to come once a month and it's typically just a free will donation or you can like come and listen for free. Sometimes there's a nominal entrance fee. With these music events, we also have had some successful 5k fun runs. We've had our chamber of commerce sponsor some great events like uh, they call it wing fling so people can compete with their best recipes for chicken wings. And then they get brewers from around the area to bring in their best beers and they set up on the street. We have a local boutique who has launched a mini market where she brings in vendors from outside the community as well as people inside the community. They can set up and have a little market on the street. Our hometown days is like our community's signature event. And again, that took the dedication and perseverance of a group of people who were really wanting to see our town celebrate the people who live there. So they do fundraising for the whole year. A lot of that is a major contribution from small business owners. And then this Hometown Days three-day event is free to anybody who wants to attend. There's music, kids games, inflatables. A lot, like one year they had a bike ride. Another year they had a scavenger hunt. There's usually music on Main Street. There's sometimes like classic car rides. These events make the community a vibrant place. You see people out and about in a town and it makes a huge difference. I know I'm giving like this glowing, rosy, picturesque interpretation of our city, but really when I moved back after my college experience, our downtown area had a lot of empty storefronts. You didn't see lights on after dark. You didn't see people like lots of people going for walks. You didn't see this vibrancy that you wanted so badly in a small town. And kind of like I talked about with one fundraising success will help you generate momentum for the next one. Similarly, like all of these individual things that seem like they're happening independently come together to create a feeling in a community that make it a place where people just want to be and they feel cozy and they feel at home. And this is the small town life and values that they're talking about. It takes everybody and it takes everything from these capital huge projects like a pool to just having the initiative to say, hey, 
let's just have a little vendor fair on the street from 9 to 11 a.m. on Saturday. And all of those things contribute to the greater good of the community. It does take people with dedication and perseverance and a willingness to work because it couldn't happen without these. Okay, so let's kind of segue that into my next topic, which is how do I find the people who are willing to do this? So I'm in this group uh, with, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast, Rural Revival. Dana, the podcast host, had an opportunity for people to join a small group mastermind this year. And in that mastermind, we can connect with small business owners and chamber of commerce directors from all over the United States. And one of the people that is in that group is named Joni Nash, and she is the chamber director of a city in Oklahoma. And what she shared with us one time just has stuck with me forever. Well, forever, you know, since I joined the group nine months ago. But (laughs) it's something that I think about a lot. And she says that it only takes a few people who care a lot to create something major in your small town. She said, you can have the same 10 people on every committee. And those same 10 people, she said, that's not unique to this small town over here or that small town over here. She's like, small towns all over are asking, like, how can we bring in fresh ideas? How can we bring in new people? Because we have these same 10 people on every committee. And what you can do, I've found, even if you do have those same 10 people on a lot of committees, if you have the right 10 people on those committees, that makes a huge difference. If they are motivated, if they are dedicated, if they are working in a common direction, you can accomplish so much. But it does, like she mentioned too, take new people taking a risk, stretching out there to join to create additional momentum and bring in new ideas. Because I don't know about you guys, but in our small town, sometimes people say, oh, we tried that 20 years ago and it didn't work. Or, oh, I can't believe they want to do this again. That was such a headache and so much work. I would never want to do that again, right? So you've probably all been on committees like that. You know, just because it didn't work 10 years ago or five years ago even doesn't mean it wouldn't work right now. Think about how much has changed since 2015. Think about how much technology has advanced. Think about how you could use that to market what you have going on. Think about just like even the economic landscape in those last five years. I know that there are more grants available now for small towns than there may have been five years ago because right now, like renovation and like our historic downtowns have never been more prioritized than they are right now. And specifically in Iowa, There are so many grants and funding opportunities that you can tap into if you take the time or have the ability to connect with the people who can point you toward those. So it did take people who are willing to take a risk and it took people who are willing to see things in a new way or change their mindset. So you have to consider everybody who's been there for a while in your town or on that committee, but also be getting new people and new ideas in, particularly if you can tap into that younger generation that would be a great way to bring new fresh ideas that maybe young families are looking for and would really value in your community. And you keep hearing me say community. It takes people from the community. It takes bringing the community together. It takes listening to the community. It takes 
asking for feedback from community members, not assuming that you have all the ideas if you are on the city council or in the economic development office, or that you have all the answers because you've had a business on Main Street and you've been there for 25 years and so you know how it's done. It takes listening to feedback to make changes for what your community needs and being open to new ideas and new takes on what you've done for generations or new takes on how you've done things for the last 10 months. But it takes the community. It takes all of us. If we want our small town to be better, it's going to take the ideas of everyone. And this is the last part I'm going to speak to, but it's the most important to our community's vibrancy, I feel. So there's an organization called Community Heart and Soul. It's a national organization, but there are different places around the United States that are kind of hubs for this organization. And what it is, is a framework that helps build up small towns. Our town of Cascade got started with this in early 2018. And the concept is a little bit abstract. It's a little hard to like produce something physical. Like what are we going to get from this? I can't show you something physical because the way that this process works is that there's a leadership team of however many people decide to be on it, but they are dedicated to being on this committee for the long haul. So it's going to be at least 12 to 20, up to 24 months of service. What these committee members do is they go out into the community and they listen. So just like I had said, how listening to the community is so important. That's what Heart and Soul is all about. They go out to the community. They listen to what people are saying. So that might be like hosting events, distributing surveys, having active social media presence, doing one-on-one interviews. By going out and doing all of this and then stopping every so often, looking at the data you've gathered, not just what people have said, but also who are the people that you talk to. You have to balance out, like, are we really making sure that we're hearing everybody that exists in this community, or are we only hearing the opinions of those same 10 people who always give us their opinions? For Cascade's involvement in Heart and Soul, for example, it started in 2018. We knew that we had an opportunity here in Cascade to really capitalize on all of these cool things that had been happening and make our town even better. And in particular, we wanted to create a place that people wanted to be in for years to come. When we organized, the summer of 2018 was when we launched this out into the community. But we had identified like, what are some different groups that exist in our community that we could speak to, to make sure that we were getting a really good demographic representation of all the people who live here. So we literally had like a piece of paper up on the wall that said, okay, our community has these organizations. So we wrote down like, the Knights of Columbus. We have a mom's church group. We have even like we wrote down things like there's a workout group that happens at 515 on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. And that might be a good place to talk to the ladies that go there. Uh, We talked about PTAs. We talked about elderly who live in a senior living residence. So we really got clear on where are all of these groups of people and how can we get in connection with them So we can hear their ideas. What do they love about Cascade? What do they feel like could be improved about our town? And what are some specific actions we can take now or in the next few years to make our town the best it can be? After we identified those groups and launched it out into the community, for the next 18 months, we were active in speaking with people. 
So we had a couple rounds of surveys. We showed up at all of those local events, like I was mentioning in the first part of this podcast. We sat down and had interviews with people. We had phone interviews with people. We got video interviews of people that we then shared out on social media. We had the schools give surveys in their classes because what we found from that data is that the kids in our town, a lot of them ultimately plan to move back. They might go to college for a few years, but they do want to have this small town way of life. But they said they've never been asked about volunteering. They have not very often been asked their opinions on what would be even better about our town that would really entice them to move back. What are those jobs or those amenities that they would love to see in our town when they're a few years older and a few years removed from high school, I guess. But by listening to all of these ideas that came in from the survey, we had hundreds of ways. Some of them were common, but some of them were so creative, but hundreds of ideas for ways our town could be better. And it included people who constantly voiced their opinion, as well as people who had never contributed before. One of the most important things that resulted from this process, we're in the final stage right now, but one of the most important things was, as of the last survey, the final question was like, what is your name? What is your email address? Can we get in contact with you? And is there a particular project that you would be willing to work on to make our town better? We had over 30 people say that they would love to be contacted for a specific project and they would be a volunteer for that, which 30 people in a town of 2,500 doesn't sound like a lot, but it's huge, you guys, huge. The heart and soul process is really revolutionary and extraordinary. And about a year into the process, the national director of Community Heart and Soul kind of got word that something special was happening in Cascade with our project. And he came and visited our town and he traveled from Vermont. He came and had coffee with some of the committee members. And one thing he said stuck with me and his name's David Lecky. And he said, you know, there's some things that happen during the heart and soul process that you can't quantify and you can't tie it directly to heart and soul and say, oh yes, because this happened or because heart and soul happened, it influenced this. So for example, our downtown is seeing a lot more businesses go into those empty storefronts. We're seeing facade improvements. We're seeing more restaurants come into town. And we can't necessarily say that all of this is a direct result of the heart and soul process. But Mr. Lackey said, I see this over and over again in our heart and soul communities. There's something about telling our stories and our experiences and giving it a positive light instead of focusing only on what could we improve. We're also sharing out what we love about our community. What makes us special? What are our values here? And by putting a positive spin on it, it just creates a positive energy in the town that can't be measured, but it does something to the residents that generates a sense of pride and it ekes out into other areas of the community. And he said over and over again, during the span of a heart and soul communities process, he sees this energy just happen and other things begin to take place. And it's like a snowball where, like I said earlier, one thing will give you momentum into another. So while I can't directly say there's been a lot of growth in recent years because of Heart and Soul, I can say our town feels so good. (laughs) And it's so fun to see people walking in our downtown. It's so fun to see those new businesses come in and those buildings that have been falling apart get restored. 
and hearing about, oh, now we're going to get a brewery. I am so excited for that brewery. But I feel like, in essence, I guess I should kind of sum it up. I have a friend whose name is Rebecca Undum. She lives in North Dakota. And her podcast ends with the same tagline. Don't let the size of your zip code determine the size of your dream. And I think that's so important. In small towns, a lot of times we get stuck in thinking, well, we're only a town of 1,500. Well, they tried it 20 years ago. Well, nobody wants to volunteer. Well, we haven't had community growth in 10 years. We get stuck in these ruts and we get feeling poorly about our community. When what we need to do is flip the script and get people talking about what do they love? What makes people want to stay here? What is the fun things we do that are unique to our space and our unique place in the world? And then how can we capitalize on this? If we could do anything, what are the things we could do that would make it better? So to do that, it takes listening to your neighbors. It takes having some people who are dedicated to seeing end results from these ideas and actually getting some small wins under your belt and then pursuing the bigger. So I don't know if that gave you guys anything. I feel like I really just rambled for the last 30 minutes, but I hope it gave you some positive inspiration. And if you guys want to reach out and you want to get in touch with Community Heart and Soul, or if you have questions about how you could introduce this in your own town, just reach out. You can contact Small Minded Podcast on Facebook or on Instagram, and I'd be happy to connect with you. Thank you so much for being here. And I will talk to you next week when we have a special guest who is actually our first interview here on the podcast. So stay tuned for even greater things to come here at Small Minded. Thank you. And I'll talk to you next week. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived being small-minded.